Okay, so I took a little bit of a breather, uh, about two minutes, and uh, calmed myself down. And uh, <laughs> appropriately, I'm not saying it's bad for me or anyone for that matter to get stirred. These things are important. You know, we've got to get okay with that. We've got to get to a point where it's okay to be passionate about something. <clears throat> Excuse me, it's okay. To get worked up as long as we're in self-control and it's about something that is of eternal significance that we have a desire that I would like to say is just the Spirit of God in me desiring for a truth to come out and to be known. I mean, honestly, would you rather I'm just sitting here having a Bible study for myself or me and my wife and son and like... We close the Bible and say a prayer with our hands folded and go to bed? I mean, is that really the demonstration of the power of God and in the, in the, in the, the awesome work of the eternal scriptures? I mean, what do we really want? Do we, would we rather we all just have that? Well, the answer really is yes, in most cases. I mean, you have your Bible time and I'll have mine and we might get together and talk about it, but maybe not. You know, we might disagree. Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right, I'm not going to get distracted. Oh goodness. All right, so where I started with this study, I had to stop it. I, I sat down and started writing some more on it this morning. We're at 22 or 23 pages. And this is the problem with, with thoughts and ideas. And, and when you read the scriptures through a certain topical lens, not for that purpose, but Anyone who gives themselves to true study and meditating on the scriptures and trying to show yourself approved by giving ample time to these things, when you feel God is trying to speak to you about something, when there's a topic stirring in your heart, right now with my son, it's just the heart of rebellion. And so like when we look at scriptures about talking back, you know, coarse joking, you know, he's... He's seven. He doesn't understand coarse joking. I'm not sitting him down, son, you need to stop with the... <laughs> I mean, it's not that. I'm saying the heart of a matter. And so, like, there are topical things in our life that the Scripture teaches us about. That we, if we give ourselves to it, through that approach of when we are studying, landing somewhere specific, wherever we are, believing there's something for it to accomplish in us. Hopefully for everyone listening, gone are the days when you read a chapter or two a night before bed and it just kind of, whoo, I just, I feel better. That surely is not the point. That is not our goal. That was not the goal of God breathing his words into men to write down, to be this eternal manuscript of God. But that being said, where I started with the scriptures, because so much of what I was looking at in this season a couple weeks back when this started, most anywhere I would read in some ways spoke to this and had me asking myself questions and then I would cross-reference this and I would land at this and find the, the origin. A lot of this was around the word dominion. And so, there's just a lot of different 
patterns woven throughout the scriptures that I believe speak to this matter of dominion on the earth. So I'm going to start with a timeline. If you're listening to this, you're probably familiar with the, the timeline of the Bible, but just for a sake of being concise and covering everything yet at the same time, I'm going to start at the beginning. Satan comes as a serpent right at the beginning of man. Man is formed from the dust and the dirt. Three verses after the creation of Eve, as she was made and formed from the removed rib of Adam, she was not notably created from the earth as his equal, or else God would have made her from the dust, from the dirt of the earth, exactly how he made Adam, his exact duplicate, but he did not do that. God formed man, um, Eve, woman, formed her from man. Okay, right there we have man was insufficient, he was lacking, he was needing a mate, he was needing a helper, he was needing and lacking in his relational existence. And God knew this, and God was okay with that. God was not threatened by that, or else he wouldn't have moved and acted how he did. He creates Eve from Adam. Eve, as we know, is deceived. She believes the lie of the serpent. Adam chooses disobedience and joins her in the rebellion. Every single thing changes. The entire order of the earth is altered, and we see the very next generation insert murder into mankind. And I don't know if I have alluded to this before or not in these podcasts. I talk about it a lot here in our gatherings and just in conversation. It's fascinating to me how God knows the heart of a man. Because in our own perception, in our limited view of the depravity of man and the excusatory approach of man's fallen nature, we would probably see Adam and Eve's rebellion as somewhat, somewhat minor, really. If we were honest, yes, they disobeyed God. Yes, they pretty much did the one thing that God said, do not do. He basically said, you can have all this stuff, but you know, this one thing... <laughs> Do we not see that for those of us with children? Have we not seen that with our children? Hey, Noah, my son, go out in the pasture, do whatever you want, son, but don't climb on the tractor. Now, whether he climbs on the tractor or not, he's probably going to wrestle with, like, man, I really want to get on the tractor. It's like anything. It's, it's the curse of humanity. We have the bend in our free will, of desiring what we cannot have. It's a depravity of man. But what God knew that man did not, and in our arrogance we would look back and maybe say, gosh, God was really hard on Adam and Eve. Banishing them from the garden for eating a piece of fruit? Should that be, in fact, what it was, really? It's irrelevant. 
One little turning? Is that not what our children insinuate? Aren't you kind of hard, Daddy? Isn't that a little extreme? May we reckon with that. Because of what? Because God knew in His sovereign ways, and He has no beginning and no end, and He knows every hair on our head, and He knows every day and and second of our lifespan. He formed and fashioned us before time. (laughs) God knew that the very next generation of this brand new creation man would usher in murder into the earth. Brother would kill, would take over and, and kill his brother out of a heart of jealousy. The way of Cain that Scripture talks about that I am so fascinated with. The way of Cain, the spirit of Cain. That is what fuels what I mentioned in the introduction a few moments ago that guides so many, so, so many of human beings on the earth today is that way of Cain. I look at you. I put myself beside you. You threaten me. I don't like you. You reveal things in me. You are better than me or you think you're better than me. And in my heart, I hate you and I desire to murder you. That's why we see what we do in this age. It's so much more. Jesus came and said, hey, I'm not talking about you putting a knife across his neck. I'm talking about your heart. I'm talking about your thoughts and imaginations that exalt yourself over your brother. Jesus came and he made it serious, right? Because Jesus said, oh, no, no, I'm not talking about you just doing an act. I'm saying if in your heart you imagine that act, you have already done so. And so God, in his foreknowledge, knew, oh, please, (laughs) And I I know this is the complexity of God. God already knew this would happen. Like, we can ask those questions, but those really tend to hang us up. So let's not go there about like, well, why did God do that? If he knew, you know, all these things. Those are questions. There are questions we cannot appropriately answer. There are ideas about, well, I believe God would do this because, but that's for, that's offshoots that I cannot get to. And others probably could really help me understand. I love that kind of dialogue, but that's we can't cover everything in this one study. Okay, so fast forward from Cain and Abel, generation upon generation. All of humanity is sinfully wicked and evil. There have been, you know, creation guys and kind of, you know, scholarly intellectual types that have given numbers to the, you know, the estimated amount of people on the earth. If this, you know, if, if Adam and Eve had this many children and they had children and these children had children and generational numerics, if that's even a word. If it's not, I just made it up and I'm going to use it anyway. Whatever the case, however many people were on the earth, we know what the scriptures tell us. Of course, Noah and his family 
were spared and delivered into a new sort of earth. The earth, by God's hand, by the floods that covered the earth, had been cleansed of mixture. I'm not even going to go into that, but that's another trail to go down. (sighs) Again, man moves immediately away from God's order. The Bible tells us of Noah's descendants. The Tower of Babel appears, which is, of course, the epitome of the Luciferian attempt of ascension. That is the pattern of the serpent ascending above God, considering equality with God, and thereby even moving above God and making yourself God as he tried to do and was cast down because of his arrogance and pride. And so he falls down to earth, as we'll get to all that later. And what does he do? He tries to insert that into man, and he does. And we saw that with the Tower of Babel. Literally trying to physically ascend to the heavens. We see God give demonstrations of how he speaks to men through the law. He creates a literal people. David comes, he shows many kingdom principles and types and shadows, a lot of predictions, if you will, a lot of types of Jesus. You know, we see in the Psalms, you know, a lot of things that Jesus would say. We see men like Elijah and Elisha confront the darkness head on in incredible power, incredible authority. Unmoved by the sorcerers of the day. Like amazing, incredible things. Demonstrations, literal, natural demonstrations of power and authority in the name of the one true God. Daniel, Isaiah, they reveal very much prophecy, things to come. Then God in his perfect plan, his perfect order ushers in an entirely new age. How does this new age come? It comes in the form of a man, a God-man, Emmanuel, and literally dwells among natural men, lowered to the natural earth and inserts himself into its patterns. Incredible. Jesus, of course, lives a sinless life. He was free from the power of death and even lays down himself to the point of physical death and the grave. He rises again. He descends into Hades and in Revelation 1 we're told, although he was dead, he was made alive and lives forevermore. And he came out possessing the keys to death in Hades. He returns to the highest heaven and now intercedes for us there. Holy Spirit, the promise that when Jesus said, it's better that I leave, stay here until you're clothed from on high. The promise comes to men. The temple moves from without to within. The church is established on the earth. And it begins to grow exponentially, as we're told in Acts. 
conversion after conversion after conversion after conversion. People giving them, themselves their lives. Their literal lives, people. They didn't just make a decision and go back to doing exactly what they did. They left everything they had to join into a people. To join into a kingdom reality, a shift from everything they had known and understood into an entirely new culture. That's why they understood the transfers of the kingdom more than we do today. They probably understood that. Moving from one to the next. Removed from one, picked up and placed into something different because that was much more literal to them than it is today. The only change we really see today is when you make a decision and, well, you don't drink anymore. You make a decision and you don't cuss as much as you used to. You make a decision, you know what I mean? We just make a decision for God. We, we remove a few things and we add a few things and then we continue on with our life. Primarily the exact same, was it, the exact same way it was previous. We add God into our life and move on. That's not what these people understood. And so here on the timeline... As we've looked at from the creation of man, the fall, up into the instituting of the church on the earth, Jesus said, it's better that I go. He left. Here we are. (laughs) Here we sit. Where are we, people? What is the church? What is the purpose of humanity anymore? And I'm just saying, from a place of of true humility, but harshness, what are we doing? What is the church doing? Where is she? Where is the church of Acts? You might see some glimpses of her on YouTube if you look hard enough. I've not known her as I believe she is to be. I've not been a part of that. You know, we went to uh, Books a Million the other day. Which is a, <laughs> it's comical really. We just don't get out much. <laughs> we live on 10 acres And we go into the city. It's just like... (laughs) I mean, we're pretty normal. Don't get me wrong. We're not like freakishly removed. Like we don't go into town and people stare at us because, whoa, boy, where are those hillbillies from? It's not quite that extravagant. But when we go into town and we go to a place like we did recently to book some million, I don't even remember why we went. It's a pretty rare occurrence to go to a place like that. And last night I was in Best Buy. Oh my goodness. I wanted to get what I needed and get out. Things you don't even notice until you're removed from the culture, people. I'm just saying. I don't care if anybody believes that or not. 
Until you're in that, you don't even notice. So we're in Books a Million. I couldn't help myself to go through the Christian living section, I think is what it was called. It may have just been branded religious. I don't even remember. And so I'm scouring these book titles. And the book covers, oh my goodness. What is, I'm like, what is this? The Joel Osteen books, I couldn't tell one book from another because every stinking one had his beautiful white teeth on it. I mean, every single one looked the same as the other. Lined up, like, my goodness, how many, <laughs> how many different ways can you say get whatever you want <laughs> because you're God's child? How many, how many ways can you say that? But I was just captivated at that reality of all the things I saw. Of all the, the Christian verbiage of today. I, I skimmed through a couple books just to get the gist and I just was, ugh, I was appalled. I was embarrassed. Like one of the workers walked by as I was holding one and I wanted to just put it down. And so I'm just asking, what, what are we doing? What are we promoting? But here we are. I can't help what they're doing, the authors of these books and, you know, mega church pastors and all that. I don't live in that world. I don't get stuck there anymore. I've got enough of my own issues and problems and demands and changes to be made in my own household, in my own life, in my fellowship here. In, in what we do here, there's plenty. <laughs> I don't have time to worry if Joel Osteen is the Antichrist. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care. What is our purpose as man? How do we venture into finding our purpose? Who are we anyway? And I would add, this isn't about just like our families here, because I've, I've shared this as a message a couple weeks ago. This isn't just like, who are you where you live, where you fellowship with your job or what you do? This isn't some just, you know, what are you called to where you are type message. I think we lose a lot with that approach. Like, well... You just need to find who you are in God right where you are. I think there's been so much of that, but we've lost in the specificity of that, if that's even a word, too. We made fun of a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago for saying that, and now I think I've adopted it as a true word. I hope it is. <laughs> but we've got so specific of dialing that down to, like, how do you be Jesus in the workplace? You know, well, what about, and this is my proposal, what about the eternal purposes of man? We're not trying to just become who we are in the middle of our circumstances, who we're supposed to be, who we really are according to the Scripture's definition of a believer. But we need to come into who we are in Christ in order to find our function and portion 
in the eternal kingdom of God in our age. We have to expand our vision. And I'm just going to end this here because I can't believe it's been another 25 minutes and, and I'm sorry if, if, if this bothers you, but that was one page. We've got a long way to go. I don't know. We're going to have to put this in uh, some machine that, that shrinks it down. Or maybe not. I mean, I don't know. Let's make this a 20-part series. I don't know. Who cares, right? So even in that, as I just looked at the timeline of man, let's just continue from here on asking ourselves, what is the purpose of man? Why are we here? The eternal purpose of man, friends. Let's forget about you and me, specifically individually. Who are we to be as God's creation on the earth in the eternal perspective of God's creative purposes for mankind? So be thinking about that. I promise the next episode I'm going to get to like a legitimate part two going to ask the question in the beginning who ruled who reigned the earth chew on that for a little bit and uh, I'll be back with the uh, second installment here momentarily